generations of history. I'm so glad that we can see the beauty of our stories told by our own. What a joyful time to see community shine. We see, we see, we see, we see each other. We see, we see, we see, we see each other. We see, we see, we see each other. We see, we see, we see each other. Welcome back, beautiful people, to another episode of We See Each Other, the podcast. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I am Char Jossel. Thank you for coming back, Char. Of course. I'll be here week <laughs> after week. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're not getting rid of me that easily, Trayvell. That's right. I know that's right. <laughs> okay, so on the docket for today's conversation, I dedicated a whole chapter in my book to a one Laverne Cox. Hello, everyone. <laughs> yes, Laverne, the OG. The OG, right. And I, I decided to do that, one, because, you know, as I say in the book, Laverne, uh, unbeknownst to her, played a, a rather pivotal role mm-hmm. for me and kind of my own um, coming of gender story, to quote the uh, subtitle of Jacob Tobias' book, Sissy, um, because I saw um, Laverne Cox, she was the keynote speaker for a like trans day of remembrance or whatever week okay. or trans awareness week or whatever while I was in grad school at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was doing her Ain't I a Woman tour. Yes, you yes. know, shout out to Sojourner. The um, truth. Yes. <laughs> and it was just amazing to witness her. And then I have like a personal story in the book about the the Transgender Tipping Point article yes. um, at Time. Um, and then over the years, you know, I got a chance to meet her. I've interviewed her a few different times. Um, but to me, she stands as like... Because she was the only mm-hmm. one at that time with that level of visibility, especially black, right? Yeah. Like I often think about the pressure she might have she must have felt, mm-hmm. right? To say everything right, to do it right. Like you you are I often talk about how for a number of the people who are in the industry today, Right. A number of young people who, you know, we've seen all of the the stats about, you know, younger generations being more queer, more trans identified, non-binary identified. For many uh, folks, Laverne Cox was the first for them. Yes. Right. In their history. How did you come to see Mama Laverne. Was it Orange is the New Black? Was it before that? So I I remember Laverne for from I Want to Work for Diddy. Mm-hmm. However, I met Laverne for the first time ever uh, for two years in Chicago. There was an award ceremony of sorts, like a celebration. It was titled the Trans 100. Mm. And I, I had the privilege. I was living in Chicago. And so I would attend. And I met Laverne literally the March. I think Orange is the New Black season one premiered in June. Mm-hmm. And I met Laverne the March before that June. Oh, wow. And yes. And, and we had a very brief conversation. But she was uh, that was my intro to her. And then, of course, I mean, her character meant a lot season one. But I fell in love with the whole damn show. I Absolutely. mean, I love Tasty Pussy. Absolutely. All Red. the black girls. I loved Red as well. The oh, Russian, Red, yes. The Russian woman in charge of the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And I forgot. Oh, Gloria Mendoza. That mm. was my girl. Mm-hmm. Who that actress? Uh, I can't remember her real name right now, but she has a trans sister. She does. Yeah, she absolutely does. So I Salinas. Yes. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I just love the show. I can still sing sing the theme song. And so Laverne is someone who her visibility, I think, speaking to what the points that you just made, it meant everything. And and I think what I also appreciated about Laverne was even off screen, she's just a smart girl. Mm-hmm. Like Laverne was talking the talk. Mm-hmm. I learned so much through Laverne. She's so well read. Oh, yes. And I think that being well read informs the way in which you speak about certain things. Like not only is there a confidence to it, but you also have statistics and sources to back you up Mm -hmm, and she on mm -hmm. top of that she had the lived experience and so it meant a lot at the time um and still does with with Laverne being out there and 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 being you know like that one of one type thing and it's been uh, honestly awesome awesome to watch her star continue to shine and reach new light heights and 
things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, what, 10 years or so it's been mm-hmm. since the quote-unquote transgender tipping point. Actually, let's pause right there mm-hmm. on this transgender tipping point moment, right? Because... I remember that being a moment and I was just coming to, I wasn't even in the industry yet, right? I was coming out of grad school, Mm -hmm. hadn't started at the LA Times yet. Um, And I remember it's supposed to have been, I remember that it was supposed to be like this, this massive sea change, right? After that moment, after that declaration, much of it on Laverne's back again, because she was, I don't want to say she was the only, because I, I, that's likely erasing somebody out there who was, she was the only openly trans black trans person, because I mean, you touched on it. Well, you all touched on it in disclosure, Mm -hmm. the documentary, like trans people. And this isn't to interrupt your point, but a lot of conversations around, like even our elders, Mm -hmm. it's like, no, there are tons of trans elders. I just came across one a few weeks ago. Not, I'm not joking. This is true. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And she's just been stealth her whole life. Yeah. And so it's like, we do have trans elders, but the people who did not, I guess, have that passing privilege that was required to function in society Mm -hmm. at that time, Mm -hmm. that's who was visible or that's who we're privy to. Right. And it seems few and far in between, but the girls and the boys are out here, okay? Absolutely, and and have been, right? And will continue to be no matter what, you know, the legislation is saying. And the people. Uh I don't want to erase, you know... (laughs) But I'm speaking for the time. You know, back then, the time, the, the yes. assimilation was kind of like mm-hmm. a key component in transition. Absolutely. And yeah. it, it was it's as a means of survival, yes. right? As a yes. means of like navigating, right? Folks will, I mean, we have a conversation that you all will get to hear eventually with Brian Michael Smith, right? About going through his career at a point in time in which he was, I know we, we don't use the word stealth no more or whatever, no. but like but in which- the kitchen table. <laughs> that part, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, in which he did not disclose, you know, yeah. that information unless it was pertinent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, yeah. But but as I was saying with Laverne, I I feel like because she was the only one, I do feel like she got like a lot of of shit um, from the community, mm-hmm. right? Because I I I wasn't yet claiming the language of transness for myself. But once I began to do that and once I got into the industry and started covering these issues, I remember having conversations with, you know, other folks in community yeah. who who didn't like the way Laverne was doing it. Or they felt like she was saying the wrong thing or they felt like, you know, she was... Um, too buttoned up, if you will, like yes. too too formal, too. You mentioned how too she, highfalutin, as, too, as, as the, as the yes, black folks would say. Yes, too highfalutin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and still to this day, that strikes me as interesting, um, because she was very much all of those things. That's yes. who she is. Anyone that who is knows who her, she is. like you said, she's a reader. You yes. know, she she got a wealth of knowledge. Um, but it gets me thinking about how a lot of the conversations we now have are about wanting images of trans people and actual trans people who are not necessarily, you know, as quote unquote buttoned, buttoned up, up. Yeah. right? Like I see all the love that T.S. Madison gets, right? For being her fully unfolded self in yes. the words of Akweke Yamezi. Um, and there was a period of time, it seems, right? In which, you know, if, I'll say it this way. If it was, I wonder if it wasn't for Laverne doing what she did in the ways that she did it, if we would see the types of opportunities that are now being, you know, extended toward T.S. Madison for her to be who she is, right? Which is very much not a Laverne Cox. Yeah, I mean, I don't, even listening to to you speak in context of this conversation, I don't want to erase Janet Mock. Yes. Because although yes, Janet was yes. not an actor, yes. mm-hmm. Janet was also in the zeitgeist. Absolutely. Okay, redefining realness Absolutely. was a part of the conversation and Janet was visible. I mean, hell, she had Oprah's co-sign, okay? Mm-hmm. Janet sat down on a Super Soul Sunday mm-hmm. around Oprah's oak trees. She okay? sure did. So, so and Oprah didn't call me, y'all, in case you were wondering. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. Well, it did. That would have Right. It's fine. Trayvell Anderson. Get on out here, Trayvell. <laughs> um, but, 
But um, it, it, it was interesting around that time with the conversation. I should also mention Laverne, the trans tipping point, and even, you know, Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of, mm-hmm. of Vanity Fair. That is what propelled me to publicly come out as trans mm. mind you i have been tra- i have been living my life mm-hmm. but as far as like letting co- co-workers mm-hmm. and co- like the only people who knew about shar were like very close friends and family mm-hmm. i was existing and and working jobs and going about my everyday life just as shar but when the conversation opened up much like today there's so many conversations in and around transness and ain't no trans people in the room amen and i got very frustrated listening and witnessing these conversations and i ripped the band-aid off and i was like look i'm i am a trans person and some of the girls gagged and you know that just <laughs> it, it was what it was uh but but that was such a pivotal point i think back to that time in 2015 2016 mm-hmm. and i've often even questioned how did we get to where we are today like if you recall in 2016 with north carolina and the bathroom mm-hmm. bill and every like corporation you had artists like canceling their shows mm-hmm. I think the NBA pulled their all-star game out of North Carolina that there was year. a lot going on there was a lot there of virtue lot. signaling going on and I think about I mean that happened in 2016 and we're about to be in 2026 mm. in less than five <laughs> years and I think about how vast the pendulum has swung mm-hmm. from Laverne covering mm-hmm. Time magazine in 2015 to where we are present day mm-hmm. and how did we get here and, but you know what I I sometimes think that maybe people don't don't People who are not us, who are not trans, who are not, you know, uh, I like to say professionally trans, right? Because, like, now it's baked into the work that we do. Um, But, like, we are so visible. We are more more visible as a community and a culture than we were when Laverne was on the cover of Time magazine. But you're right. That kind of seeming adulation that she kind of got, that kind of all that virtue signaling that was going on around that initial wave of bathroom bills. Um, Let's just say as anti-trans legislation is spreading across the country um, through state legislatures, we're not still hearing folks you know, talking about pulling out their oh, no. their film festival or no. their production from from Georgia, from mm-hmm. Florida, from, you know, these places. And I know that folks always, you know, when it comes to like the boycotts and like all that type of stuff, you know, folks always want to make us you want to remind us. Right. That like pulling pulling productions or whatever out of certain cities or certain places, you know, will impact the queer and trans people who might be working, yeah. right? Those types of things or who might otherwise benefit from from that. And I recognize that as well. But it is interesting, this point you bring up, right? That the support, I'll put it that way, mm-hmm. for trans people um, writ large in culture seemingly um, has regressed in in a not so great way. Meanwhile, as we still see, you know, folks on on TV in various d- different ways. Now, again, it's just one of them. They don't got no, they no trans friends. <laughs> they, no. And there's no community and it's around rooted, these characters. The story is rooted around their transness. You mm-hmm. never see somebody forty years into their transition just trying to, you know, they're just moving apartments or whatever. Mm-hmm. And listening to you speak, I, I link it back to. Of course, capitalism. It any streaming platform, any streaming platform that can house a phenomenal documentary like Disclosure alongside a Chappelle stand-up mm. comedy special, they realize that both sides are profitable. Mm. The outrage culture, what are they called? Outrage farms. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we see it online. Mm-hmm. People know that that's why, like, some of them hip hop accounts, <laughs> you tra- chase the the IP address and it's in Romania. Yes. Like, there are mm-hmm. people who realize how profitable it is to not only stir the pot, but, you know, throw some, douse some gasoline on it and strike Absolutely. the match as well. Because both sides are profitable. And so it, it's, it's interesting to see where we are, well, where we've been, mm-hmm. where we are, and where we could potentially be going but mm-hmm. i remain optimistic and i cannot imagine what laverne must have been going through with being with having this spotlight on her even coming on the heels of like uh candace kane on abc's mm-hmm. dirty sexy money mm-hmm. even she ain't have it like laverne mm-hmm. had it you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying absolutely so i wonder what that's a function of 
Mm. Is it a function of intersectionality and how black women always got to save everybody? Well, now, speak on it. Is it a function of how so many white women who are trans and celebrities, even today, Hunter Schaefer, Josie Toda, Mm -hmm. can just go about being actresses. Meanwhile, black women have to shoulder Mm -hmm. all of the responsibility of being activists as well. Mm -hmm. Because Hunter Schaefer ain't being asked the same things on red carpets as India Moore is. Now let's or talk Michaela about J. It. Rodriguez. So I wonder if it's a function of Laverne's intersectionality and what she represented with being black mm-hmm. and trans mm-hmm. and a woman up against someone like a white woman who's trans like Candace Kane. Yeah. No, this is this is this is good. Also, you know, also shout out to Candace. We see you, sis. Um, and Laverne talks about how I think I mentioned this in the book, how if it wasn't for Candace on yeah. Dirty Sexy Money, she Laverne would have never, you know, seen herself, see, seen herself, possibility. Po- yeah, the possibility model. She would have never thought uh, that she could be who she has since, you know, become. Um, and that was in Janet culture. for me. I, that, love that. I, would, I always say that Janet, her visibility, and this was pre first book, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me permission. This is the, she did like an article in, it was it Marie Claire? Claire? Yes. And I felt like that. I say that that was like, you know how they, they shoot the gun at the beginning of the race. Mm-hmm. You know, you go through things, you think about certain things, but when all of your examples are Maury and Jerry Springer and all these types of things, seeing Janet gave me permission. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that is possible. Seeing this that. journalist, and I was already in school for journalism. Mm-hmm. And she's like editor of People magazine mm-hmm. and running around here with this man. And do, I'm like, this is, you know, and, and that was kind of spearheading. And I, yeah, I'm, I met Janet before her first book came out. And so and she, she, she was kind of mentored me mm-hmm. for a few years. And so I love that. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Char and I chat with Mimi Marks and Hope Giselle. Yes, it's going to be so good. You do not want to miss this. We see each other. I'm Jordan Cruciola, the host of Feeling Seen, where we talk about the movie characters that make us feel seen. And I'm the show's producer, Marissa. Jordan, you've interviewed so many directors, actors, writers, film critics, and I like to play this little game where I take a sip of coffee every time someone says, that's such a great question. That's such a fabulous question. Or they tell you how smart you are. I think that you are rather brilliant. And of course, the big one is, when, when they, they cry, cry unexpectedly. unexpectedly. Yes, yes. Jordan, I don't want to cry on your podcast. I wasn't expecting to <laughs> cry. I mean, it makes me kind of want to cry. <sighs> Feeling Seen comes out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Listen already. What are you waiting for? Jordan, that's such a great question. <laughs> <laughs> we see each other. Welcome back to We See Each Other, the podcast. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I'm Char Jocelle. Now listen, our first guest this week is a Chicago gal like myself, and her name is Mimi Marks. Mm-hmm. Mimi is an entertainer, legendary entertainer, okay, who performed at Chicago's Baton Show Lounge as a quote-unquote female impersonator. Yes. I know some people are kind of scrunching their nose up at me using that terminology, mm-hmm. but before you get to typing and calling <laughs> in to, to speak pipe, right. listen to the interview and you will learn why I used that language. Absolutely. And we wanted to get Mimi's perspective on visibility as someone from, you know, the era of Jenny Jones and the Jerry Springer show, Maury Povich. You know, we've spoken with so many people who say that those dolls, those dudes that they saw on those types of shows was like, you know, one of the very first times that they saw themselves. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And Mimi was a regular guest on Jerry, 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 the Jerry Springer show. And she starts her interview explaining how she became a guest on Jerry's show to even begin with. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's take a listen. I initially, well, I worked at the Baton Show Lounge at the time, um, which was, you know, the a famous, which still is a famous drag bar, female impersonation. We used to call it back then, female impersonators. These days. I don't even know what to call I don't know what to call what I do anymore. I'm like, I'm a drag performer. I'm a trans show girl. I'm like all those things. But back then, they, uh, one of the producers from Jenny Jones actually asked some of us girls to come on the Jenny Jones show. I don't think Jerry Springer was even in Chicago yet. So we went on the Jenny Jones show 
the producer of the show was this lovely woman, Annette Grundy is her name. And we hit it off and kind of became friends. Soon after that, Jerry Springer show, you know, started, I guess. I don't know if it started somewhere else besides Chicago. I feel like it might have started in another city, like Ohio. Mm. Yes, it was in Ohio, I believe. And then it was in Chicago for 20 something years before moving to Connecticut. Yes. And so when they when he first came here, that producer from the Jenny Jones show jumped over to Jerry Springer. We had Mm. created a friendship. And so she just the our initial appearances on there were just us baton girls and then some of the Miss Continental pageant winner and contestant girls. And at initially it was still just a talk show, you know what I mean? Where people came on with real issues, real topics, you know, it was more of a talk show, which, so at that time it seemed cool to do, you know what I mean? It was like, it was cool, even though at the time I had no idea that I was explaining to people what was going on. You know what I mean? I I really mm-hmm. felt like most of the time I was trying to defend myself. I didn't realize I was actually teaching people things until mm-hmm. later in life. And people would tell me, oh my gosh, you were the first person I ever saw on TV that was a trans girl. And I was like, really? But then I thought back, well, I'd never seen one ever mm-hmm. in my life that I ever could remember. So yeah, initially it was just, they just asked us to come on and, you know, we were pageant girls. The The producer was a friend, so she loved the baton. She loved the shows. And it was more just a, you know, a fun thing. And then it turned into, like, you right, know, right. <laughs> the fight. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in knowing, because you brought up, uh, what, what was it, the Kit Kat Lounge or the baton? I can't remember. The baton. Yeah, because I know there's a few establishments in Chicago that cater to the showgirls and, and that yes. type of aspect. I'm interested in knowing, though, Mimi, because you appeared on the Jerry Springer show nearly 10 times throughout the, the yes. course of the show. You even co-hosted an episode with him. Yes. I'm interested in knowing what something like that was like, especially given that, you know, it was also appeared very volatile and hostile towards the trans community. So what was it mm-hmm. like existing in that space where it's seemingly you got respect and he really liked you? So initially, like I said, it started off very like we were doing something good. Like it was an informative situation and it was, Mm. it was fun. You know, we were parading around in our evening gowns and we were, it was before the whole Maury, it's a man. You know what I mean? Mm. That was like a joke. That's like a joke in our kind of in our community now, you Mm -hmm. know, like Maury, when you say that, you know (laughs) what you're saying, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, it was kind of before that, like, so we, we thought mm. it was cool. We thought it was fun. It was like, you're on TV. You know what I mean? You're like, so it was only fun until it wasn't. It was only fun until that first time that somebody starts questioning you and starts, you know, everything that you believe and you think that you're a good person and you're like, but I look pretty, I have a nice outfit on and I, you know, I'm, I'm presenting myself well. It doesn't even matter. Mm. They don't care. All they care about at that point is proving their point Mm. that you're a man. That's Mm -hmm. it. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to learn anymore. All they wanted to do was tell you all the things that were wrong about you being trans. But of course, that word wasn't even a word. You know what I mean? We didn't even have that vocabulary to be able to explain transgender because we didn't mm-hmm. really have the word transgender yet. And mm-hmm. either that or we weren't using it. You know, Mainstream. the words were transsexual, transvestite. Mm-hmm. Transgender wasn't really like in our vocabulary yet. So we didn't, there was a hard way to explain what we were, and I hate to say it like that, I hate to say it like what we were, but 
it was hard to explain who we were, what, what we were trying to tell them about ourselves. Like we're women, we live as women. This isn't, yes, we might be dressed up. And so, so the first few times I went on, I was dressed up. I was in drag. I was in my pageant wear, you know, in the swimsuits and the, the gowns. After a couple of times with that, and like I said, the, the producer, she became one of my best friends. And so I've told her, I'll go on the show, but I'm not going on the show with a gown on. I'm not wearing mm-hmm. a swimsuit. I'm not doing those things anymore. If you want me to go on there and talk about who I am and about me as a person, I'll do that. But I'm not going to parade around anymore because all they're going to do is scream and yell and you're a man and you're not. And I'm not, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So then she Mm. let me go on. And that's why like in that clip that you were talking about that you saw where I'm in a turtleneck in a plaid Mm -hmm. skirt and tights. I'm Mm -hmm. not dressed like a drag queen. I'm just a girl. Mm-hmm. And they still wanted to fight me. You know, they still wanted to say, you think you can lay down and have all that plastic surgery and you're a woman? And then I would say, but I haven't had plastic surgery. Oh, my God. No way. <laughs> no, I really haven't had plastic surgery. Like they were you gagging. Know, I've taken female hormones and I've done this, but I have never laid down at the table and had surgery. Now mm-hmm. I'm arguing with these people about who I am. And mm. so I just would get so frustrating. But Jerry was super cool. He was so nice. All the people I did, I did probably get into it with a few of the producers sometimes. Because <laughs> I'd just be like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. But Jerry himself, he was so cool. He came to my 30th birthday surprise birthday party my friend my friends had a surprise birthday party he came to the party he brought cigars for my brother smoked cigars with my family wow. like he was a super wow. cool person and he was always very respectful and i i kind of understood that it was a show and mm-hmm. it was ratings and it was his show and it was his ratings so of course, he's going to let them scream at us a little bit, you know what I mean, and, and mm-hmm. hype right. it up. But in general, he was really respectful, and I was thankful for that. Plus, it was like he gave me a lot of opportunity, and you know, then at that time, that wasn't happening. I wasn't mm-hmm. seeing trans girls on TV besides that. So yeah. I tried to make it as respectful as I could as time went on, but you know, people are people. (laughs) People are people. I know that's right. I want to, I want to go back to something that you mentioned, um, which has been important for us to like reiterate on this show is the, how language has changed. Mm -hmm. Right. And how, you know, there were words that we use today that we just did not have or did not know about right Right. um, back in the day. I'm wondering for you, how has that been? Can you speak to the language bit and and just how it has been for you and your experience to like, to, to go through the shifts in vocabulary that you've experienced and witnessed? Well, I'm glad that some of the language has been introduced I'm glad that we, like, I'm glad the word transgender, I'm glad there's been a little bit more of a distinction about these words, like, because using the word transvestite and that, like, it was just always seemed weird. And But now, now I feel like an old lady because now I feel like there's almost too, too many words. <laughs> there's almost too much distinction. Now there's, it's like, you know, now mm. I feel like that old grandma that's like, now, what are you saying you are? You know, like, <laughs> what name is that? And so it's been kind of crazy, you know, to see mm-hmm. it's, it's, I don't mean crazy. I shouldn't say it's been kind of crazy, but it's, it's been interesting, I should say, to, yeah. to, to witness and to see. And I mean, I'm kind of glad that these kids nowadays growing up are finding who they want to be and they're comfortable and living in their, their truths. I don't know if some of them really even know what, what those are, but 
it's been interesting with all this terminology and the different genders and it's just been interesting. It really has. I don't even know where some of it, I'm like, where did they come from? Some like, how did we come <laughs> up with this stuff? You know what I mean? Like where? That's real. Who, who, who was the one that decided some of these words and names and you know, it's interesting. It is interesting, mm-hmm. Mimi. And, you know, I just recently came across a, a a trans woman on TikTok who transitioned back in the 70s. And she kind of spoke to, like, when she transitioned, you were, if you were a transsexual, it was considered camp. And you were on, and I should mention she's Canadian, but you were kind of like on the fringes because... The goal at the time, of course, was to cross the threshold of, you know, gender confirmation surgery. And then you were just a woman. There was no prefix. You just were a woman. It might be, you know, a woman with an asterisk, but her in her view and in her lived experience, her womanhood has not been challenged. And so to add all of the additional language, it certainly creates space for everyone because we now know today that gender confirmation surgery is not the route for every trans person. But back in the seventies, it was like, you're either, you know, you're a transsexual and that's camp and you're kind of like still on the fringes, but the ultimate goal, particularly for trans women was to have gender confirmation surgery. So I find conversations like this so interesting. It was like that too, back in back in the 90s. That's what it was. As a matter of fact, I had many opportunities along the way to have surgery. And I didn't because I thought in my head, and this was kind of an unwritten rule back then, is that if you have your surgery, I couldn't be a performer anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was no longer a female impersonator. I was no longer a drag queen, which of course nowadays it's like, what? Like, right. Women are drag queens. You know what I mean? Like biological (laughs) women. And so it's, it's crazy. But back then, yeah, I had one of the times I was on the Jerry Springer show was because my best friend brought me on there to tell me that, oh, I can't think of what his name was. He was the doctor in Canada that was, that was doing surgeries. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh gosh, I can't think of his name. And back then, of course, there was like three or four doctors only. So you knew each name, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're going to Canada or, oh, you're going to, you know, Belgium or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, And so he was going to do the surgery for me for free. And that's what they brought me on the show to tell me that. And, and then I, I didn't do it because I was like, Mm -hmm. well, what am I going to do? What will I do for a living? Mm. This is what wow. I do. I want to be a performer. Wow. I don't want to quit performing. And so I didn't have surgery. Wow. And then there was another time wow. later in life, same thing, same situation. And I, I was like, well, I work at the Bataan. I won't be able to work there. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what I would do for a job. And so I didn't have the surgery. And now, of course, I'm like, I, I'm fine. Like, I didn't yeah. ever need it. I didn't, it wasn't ever a necessity. I am who I am. Mm. I feel like when I was younger, I thought that that was going to change me. Mm-hmm. Like that was going to be the the, mm. the big difference in my life. But then I realized, no, that's, I'm, you're the same person. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, I, that's going to change anything. It's cosmetic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how I feel. For me personally, I know other people, it's Mm -hmm. a different story, but I feel Mm -hmm. like for me personally, it would just be a cosmetic situation. Like my, my, who I am on the inside or who I am up here Mm -hmm. is that's not going to make a difference. It speaks to you defining who you are on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And I find that, Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing your story, by the way, because I find that so interesting. Oftentimes when these conversations come up around surgery, it's interesting to to hear people's reasonings behind it, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. or why they opted not to, you know, and and what and what kind of influences or dictates that. Because in the end, you know, it, it might be reduced to chasing a feeling like everything that we do is motivated by once I obtain this, I will feel this way. And I think Another kind of getting ahead of that. A, mm-hmm, go ahead. I did. A, they did a piece of, about me. It was either on ABC. 
I think it was on ABC. This was back in, this had to have been 94 because I was going to be on the cover of a magazine here in Chicago called Lakeshore Drive Magazine. And I was just starting like a modeling career. And they did this piece about me on a show. It was called America Tonight, which was basically like Dateline kind of now, that same sort of Mm -hmm. format. And so Mm -hmm. they did a piece about me. And in that piece, they go back to Iowa, visit my family, talk to my mom, talk to my brothers and sisters. And this was still early on my early on in my transition even. So my family still is on there. My mom is saying, well, I just feel like if he would have the surgery, it just would make it better. You know what I mean? And mm. so they were still calling me he on there. And at the end of it, and at that time too, I thought that, but at the end of it, it, I almost cringe when I listen to it now, but at the end, they're asking me, the interviewer guy is saying um, about, would I have surgery? And I go, well, no, like, it doesn't matter. I'll never be a woman. I'm never going to mm. be able to have children. I'm never, I'm never going to be a woman. And I kept, and I kept saying that because in 1994, that's what I thought. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't realize. No. Right. You already are a woman. Mm-hmm. But we didn't, though, there wasn't even that discussion back then. That's the way we thought. The you binary. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're never going to be a woman. You might have a sex change, but you can't have kids and you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, some cisgender women can't do that either, but they're still women. Mm-hmm. 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 And I didn't realize that the me being a woman wasn't what my outside, it was my inside. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that then, you know what I mean? So it's like I cringe that that video of that is on YouTube, and I'm just like, oh, whenever I hear myself, <laughs> like, I'm not a woman, I'm never going to be a woman. Mm. It makes me cringe. Yeah. But I didn't know. Mm. So I wonder what you would say to young people today, young trans folks today, based on on the life that you've lived, the experience that you have had, what's your message to the the younger generation of, of trans folks today? Well, my first and foremost advice, or whatever you would call it that, would be if you're going to transition, do it with a doctor with a real doctor because I didn't and I'm fine. And a lot of my girlfriends are fine, but we did it. You know, we were laying down in hotel rooms, (laughs) getting Mm -hmm. silicone. Like we were Mm -hmm. taking my first hormone I took was, I knew a girl in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, whose dad was a doctor. So she had just packages and packages of birth control pills. We would take handfuls of them. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we had no mm-hmm. idea what we were doing. And I, I, that would be my first advice to any young trans person is to do it the right way. Like just, it might take longer. It might, you know, seem like it's, you know, I just, you want it now. I want it now. I want it now. But in the long run, you will, it, it's going to be so much better for you to just do it the right way. Do it with a doctor. Do it with a person that knows what they're talking about. And that doesn't mean your drag mother. You know what I mean? Like, Because <laughs> she going to tell you she knows everything. But, <laughs> but I think that that would be my first advice. And like, yeah. it doesn't have to happen overnight. You know? Mm. And for our my trans well trans brothers and sisters but for the young trans girls like i know it feels great to have a guy a piece of trade a (laughs) a man you know make you feel girly and make you feel that way but just do your transition the right way and and i mean there's programs these days you know what i mean like any city, pretty much, if you're living in a state that 
you can still yeah. do it. But there, they, there's, there's programs out there that people can help you. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm from Chicago as well. And mm-hmm. I remember when I was starting my process, I was setting these appointments with endocrinologists because that's what I was reading online and the conversations I was having with community in Chicago. And it took for someone to say, girl, go to Howard Brown. And Howard Brown is what officially, because I was, you know, you 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 go to these endocrinologists, They it's 90 days until they can see you. And then they see you and they're like, there's nothing I can do for you, which I believe was by choice, by the way. Uh Um, And so that happened about two or three times. And so, I mean, I think that you're offering very sound advice and a reminder to the girls, it's okay to be a crockpot girl. You know, being a microwave girl ain't always helpful. We see how that's turned out for some people. (laughs) You know, it's it's unattainable, really. (laughs) Unless you have a a nasty coin in your pocket, you can't be a microwave girl. You got to put yourself in the crock pot on, on low heat. For eight hours, you know, exactly. And give yourself time. <laughs> Trust me, it's gonna be all soft and juicy after yes. the eight hours. Yes, okay? yes. Not hard, and you know, drawn up like the microwave, like zoom. <laughs> Woo, Mimi, you are a riot. This has been such a great oh, conversation. Absolutely. Keep up with Mimi Marks on social media at Mimi Marks 11. That's M-I-M-I-M-A-R-K-S-1-1. Yes, yes. (laughs) We love Mimi. Super excited that we were able to get her. Because I know that was something that we really wanted when we set out to put this together. We wanted to interview somebody who had been on I have a tweet on record from before we... You do. (laughs) As I told you when we were mapping this out, I want to talk to someone. And this was pre-Jerry, you know, departing us. Yes, it was. I wanted to talk to someone since we were talking about, you know, visibility. Mm-hmm. what that must have been like to get your $500. Yeah. I think that's what they were getting paid, like the little $500 right. check to be berated for 40 minutes <laughs> on the Jerry Springer show or or Maury or whatever. Well, y'all heard Miss Mimi and mm-hmm. the wonderful relationship that she had with, you know, being on that show yeah. and Jerry. So shout out to her. Make sure you follow her. And now, okay, we've got our conversation with the one and only Hope Giselle. Absolutely. And Hope is a 305 mm-hmm. Miami-Dade, Miami-Florida girl. Miami-Florida. Yes, Miami. <laughs> she is an author, community organizer, a diversity and inclusion expert, and an activist for trans rights. Hope is someone that I know that is doing the work. Absolutely. And that is work with a capital W. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. She definitely is. I love Hope. And I think you will, too, after our conversation. Take a listen. One of the questions I've been asking a lot of people throughout this process of doing the podcast is like, what do you think is missing from the discourse about trans visibility? What aren't we talking about? We're not having a conversation about the 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 racial uh, implications of what it means to be trans right now. Um, I think that mm. there's a lot of conversations that are happening, but there are three conversations that are happening on top of the major conversation. And so it's like legislation will be passed. And then there's the cis conversation. There's the overarching trans conversation, which is really just white folks. And then there's the uh, people who are actually marginalized and going to be supersedingly affected by it, which are the folks of color and black people with black trans women being at the bottom of that list. Right. And we're just not having enough of a conversation about that. And I think that that's something that, even though it's tough, right, because it feels divisive, um, it's something that does need to happen. I'm interested in knowing, speaking of those those tears you just uh, rattled off, I'm interested in knowing with the visibility of certain actors and actresses and media personalities who are Black, how do you think that shows up in real life if trans women are considered in the conversation at the bottom of that tier how is that juxtaposed against i guess the public visibility of certain celebrities okay i mean let's go there when we talk about hunter shaper versus angelica ross for for example hunter has been mm-hmm. on major you know shows and all of those things so has angelica hunter has had you know ad campaigns and all those things so has angelica but the difference is the visibility and the push behind them. And also, even if we dig a little bit deeper, this is just my opinion. So like, please don't hold this against nobody except me. This is my opinion. When we saw 
Angelica be written into a show for what was supposed to be this like tertiary sort of flippant character and then people fell in love with Candy so much so to the point in fact when they killed her off people was like oh no nah, and they had to keep bringing her back right that's a thing that we have to constantly fight for which is that dark skin moment um, that we don't often get a chance to have with other people and also we just had Angelica open on Broadway as Roxy Hart for God's sakes and there was no publication behind it there was no them advocate gay time none of that right had that been Trace Lisette or Hunter Schaefer or any of the other girls it would have been the only thing that you would have seen in community for months oh my god mm. first trans woman to open up as a main character not to say that the girls have not been on Broadway right but the girls had not done it the way that Angelica had done it until she did it and so I think that these are just ways that the visibility shows up differently for us when they see it for the girls which is usually the racially ambiguous black girls or the white girls or the Latinas like those those girls get that press hard. I love my sister Trace to death, but the way that they're going hard because nobody's picking Monica up, they would have never done that. And they did not do that for framing Agnes, right? And that was an Emmy, nice. uh, an Emmy awarding winning, you know, sort of moment for, for Angelica and that entire team. And so it just makes me go, hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all can't see it, but the way Shar just sipped this drink. <laughs> y'all know what y'all can't see it, but Shar just mm-hmm. sipped this drink. I mean, look, mm-hmm. I need I needed to come up for air because I am interested. Even you know, there's been so much conversation. You know, even you know, you mentioned you know with the racial ambiguity of certain people and how colorism affects opportunities and conversations. Since we are talking trans visibility, and and you did evoke the name of Hunter Schaefer, I want to know your opinion on. I guess, certain public feedback. And the two examples I'm going to bring up are Dylan Mulvaney and Hunter Schaefer. Because I noticed that when Dylan, you know, linked up with Ulta, there was lots of outrage. But now Hunter is all up and down my my social media in a Terry Mugler, you know, fragrance campaign with Ulta. And I'm seeing nothing but applause in the comments. You know, I've I've been peeping. Why does Dylan get a different response than someone like Hunter? So there's a couple of things and there's a lot of nuance to this, right? So mm-hmm. before we even jump into the Dylan nuance of it, let me, let's me let just talk about Hunter. She was introduced to us as a trans character immediately on Euphoria. But on top of that, not only was she introduced as a trans character, she was an untucked trans character. Now, for those of y'all that are listening because y'all are allies or you're trying to learn, this simply means that she was a trans woman with a penis that we knew had a penis because she made it known to us, okay? And mm-hmm. this was something that happened on national television. And for a lot of TERFs and for a lot of people that don't, you know, transmissic folks and folks that want to engage in transmissia, a lot of those people don't mind Hunter because they feel like, oh, well, she's acknowledging that she's a man. It's the Flame Monroe effect. It's that mm-hmm. silent acknowledgement, no matter how loud it is. It's the, okay, so she's showing us that she's not trying to be like us. And so we can deal, we can hang. And then also, let's be mindful. Hunter is legitimately like, I came here to act and model. Yep. Don't ask me about nothing else, yep. right? I came here to <laughs> act and model. I came here to be one of the pretty girls. Don't ask me about nothing else. When she does speak up and out, it's still very generic. It's very PR. It's very media trained. And I think that that's the thing that saves her. And then on top of that, like, honestly, if you're not paying attention, she looks like a basic white girl. Love her to death, but she gives basic white girl by the face if you just walk down the street. Dylan, on the other hand, makes it her business to make a spectacle out of not only what it means to be trans, but what it means to be a woman. And this is my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. And so while I recognize and I hear the critiques from community that say like, Hope, I understand where you're coming from. And while I think that some of this is valid, I do think that you're, you know, trying to tell her how to be a woman and there's no right or wrong way to do that. Mm -hmm. To which I agree, right? I've checked myself on those things. But what I still want to, what I still want to say is that we live in a world that's based off of social order, social understanding, and the way that people see you. And what I Mm -hmm. see when I see Dylan is one of those, we've all had that phase as trans women, right? That first year is traumatic as hell. You're trying to figure out your look. You're trying to figure out your swag. You're trying to figure out what kind of men you like. You're trying to figure out who's into you versus what you're into. Like there are so many other things that you're dealing with and you are picking up different wigs and trying on different costumes, if you will, for those first 365 days. And I think that it would be different if it wasn't on display for the world to see this costume try on. But not only did Dylan invite us in, but then she invited us into a certain level of privilege that a lot of the girls don't have, a certain level of access that a lot of the girls don't have, a certain level of of, of, of ball, you know, not ballroom, uh, what do I want to say? Um, 
this like verbose pageantry sort of deal around womanhood. Like you walk around looking like you're trying to be Audrey Hepburn every day. Like girl, it can't be that serious, right? And so I think that that's the reason why people have an issue because not only has Dylan pissed off the trans girls that are really in the margins margins, but she's pissed off cisgender women who are like, so this is what you think womanhood is? Mm -hmm. You really think that womanhood is putting mm -hmm. a bump in your hair mm -hmm. and smiling in Burberry every day? Okay, got it. But you're not going to play in my faces. And I think that that's why the girls let, let Hunter skate. And part of that is transmissia and, and underlined, you know, transphobia. But it's also because Hunter ain't trying to do, like she came here to do her job and go home. As most of the girls do. Like, honestly, when we not bothering nobody or talking about our rights and our, our ability to live, they leave us alone. It's not until they feel triggered mm -hmm. by us saying that we deserve space, right? Uh -huh. But Dylan, she could post about a pickle and they're going to be mad. And it's because her whole brand is caricature. Mm. Mm. My God today. I would love to hear your thoughts about, as we, rec as we record this conversation... There is interesting discourse happening on the internet about, you know, trans folks um, and non-binary folks. And uh, the, the perceived and also perhaps actual, you know, differences between a trans experience and a non-binary experience. And we've, we've interviewed other people already uh, and who have like articulated, for example, we had uh, DJ Lena Bradford on and she talked about how back in the 80s and 90s when she, her and Rue and Lady Bunny were coming up, you know, they just were. And like the whole non-binary yeah. androgyny thing just like wasn't, wasn't, a way that they articulated mm -hmm. themselves, mm -hmm. right? We just spoke with Mimi, Mimi who, Marks, you know, yeah. talked Mimi yeah. Marks about her journey and also how language has shifted, you right. know, in in her lived lived time. I'm just wondering. I always hear we we hear a lot of like just I think distancing of the like. There are some people who say that you, if you non-binary, you're not trans, right? And that it's a different experience. We've heard the girls on social media say that the non-binary people are the reasons why the the legislative assault is happening on trans women and girls but, right now. But Trayvill, we've also seen non-binary people say shatter the binary and get rid of the girls who who might be more binary girls. At least I have. I've seen yes, that from the yes, youth on yes. the TikTok. But go uh -huh. ahead yes. with your question. Yes. Go ahead. No, 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 but that 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 that's <laughs> it, right? Like the the there's just so much um infighting. I, I don't want to call it infighting, but like <laughs> it, it we but maybe that is what it is. I don't know Aww. what it choose choose any of those things that I just listed, <laughs> Hope. And I, I know you have thoughts. I see it on your face. I got plenty of thoughts because the girls are fighting, but I also I, I don't believe in pussyfooting around around topics. So if we have to cut this, then we, we have to cut it. But I'm just going to say it and invoke it because Lena Bloom is a part of this huge conversation that we're happening now because she was one of yes. the girls of the platform that decided to say the thing. So y'all didn't say it. I said it, right? Mm. Um, and it's one of those things where I feel like when you experience a certain level of privilege and when you're a part of a community where your entire identity seems to be made up off of butch queens telling you that you that bitch, it's very hard mm. for you to understand the lived experiences of other people. And I think that that is why a lot of non-binary people are taking offense to her comments specifically. And I think that because of her experience, there, there, it doesn't click for her when people are not going, yes, bitch, before whatever their statement is, right? And so it's like, if if you're not giving me my tins and my flowers before you say the thing or the insult, mm. it doesn't hit the same way as it would if you were to come in, praise my draws, and then turn around and say, like, I also have a critique for you. And I think that that's something that she might need to work on and might want to, like, kind of sort of do introspection about. Go ahead. What is it that she said? Like, what's the, the, the subject to this predicate? So essentially, it was basically what Travel put out there, which was like blaming the girls or, or blaming non-binary people for the reason why the girls have the issues. Okay. And one of, the, one of the things that I want to say to that, because mind you, Lena is not the only person that has said it. So this is not an attack on her. Absolutely. She's just the most recent and, and the loudest person right now in this moment. But Absolutely. what I want to say in response to that is, 
a transphobe gonna transphobe regardless, right? Like they're, they're uh, a person who is determined to misunderstand you is gonna find a way to misunderstand you regardless of who's delivering the information. And so it's not about the idea of non-binary people existing that, you know, endangers trans people. Now it's not to say that it does not add to the conversation for our endangerment, but it's, I think that even if non-binary people did not name themselves exist or, or, or maneuver in spaces or even wanna be up under the transgender umbrella, People who wanted to deny our humanity, our womanhood, our manhood, or whatever the case may be, they're going to do that re anyway. So to blame our non-binary mm -hmm. siblings just doesn't seem like a fair critique, you know? Um, but I also want to, uh, the double-edged sword uh, of this is to say that there are some non-binary people who use being non-binary as a buffer mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. being a queer ally, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between being non-binary and wanting to chill with the kids. You can want to chill with the kids and not have to have a moniker or an identity that we understand or right, that we, right. you know, coins. <laughs> mm -hmm. And a lot of the time I find, especially AFAB people or assigned female at birth people, right, will come into the space and they'll see one person who identifies as non-binary and they think that this is their way to come in and assure us that they're not going to harm us. And I think that that mm. does harm. And I think that those types of non-binary people have caused a lot of harm in the conversation because you'll have a person that's identifying as non-binary so long as they're in the space and they're kicking with the kids, but then they go over here and they're a woman. Or you'll have an, an a mm. mad person that will identify as non-binary so long as you're with the kids and in the safety of the queer community, but you step outside and you get on that train to go to the Bronx and now you're, you know, a solid man from the, the pits of Manlandia. And I think that those are things that are nuances that I would love to talk about with actual non-binary people yeah. so that we can like really have an understanding for one another. Yeah, because you know, the, you know, everyone talks about how fluid everything can be and how everything's on a spectrum. And I do, I must admit, cause I've been very, you know, transparent while doing this show with Trayvell that even for me, like I remember I took a, a, a course and the differentiation between non-binary and non-binary trans yeah. was like one of those things like Demi Lovato is non-binary, but India Moore is non-binary non trans. trans yes. And even that can, can add nuance, as we've stated, to the conversation and, mm -hmm. and how people choose to navigate and interact with trans people as a whole. Indeed. Indeed. Mm -hmm. But there's a, there's a lot of a scapegoating that I think is happening too with non-binary people. I also think that a lot of the, 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 the fair weather activists that are just trying to break into the scene want to shake it up, but they don't want to shake it up with cis people, right? Because they don't have the arguments to be able to, to, to have those, mm -hmm. the, the big girl and the big boy arguments yet. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier to turn that, that anger inwards and be like, look at y'all. Like I can advocate for us against y'all, but I can't go up against Candace Owen just yet. Right. I ain't ready right. for that conversation. Right. And so I think that th there's a lot of call outs to happen in that space, too. Like, which one of y'all punk ass activists is trying to turn it on the community because you ain't ready to have the real conversations? Because mm -hmm. that's also a thing that I see happening, too. Mm -hmm. My God, today, who is like an unsung trans hero in this conversation about visibility of the community, whether on screen or just like in community that you would like to uplift and center and, you know, give some flowers to. Mm. I got, I got two people. One of them, we know what well, we both, we know, we know both of them, but T.S. Madison, love her, love her down. Auntie Maddie, we, you know, I'm pretty sure a bunch of people have said her name. But um, George M. Johnson, who is a non-binary, you know, author. Um, I love George. And I love George because when George sets out to make sure that community members are seen, George means that, right? And there's follow-up and there's follow-through and there's like, I'm a, if I said I was going to platform you, no matter how little or, or, or big or whatever, the platform mm -hmm. comes. And I, I just really appreciate that. And while there is a lot of visibility for jo George on the, the, the basis of being an author, I don't think that their identity is respected, right? I think that George still comes off as a man to a lot of people. And so the, the non-binary... Um, you know, sort of moniker that they hold is often like overlooked, just like Janelle Monae. Um, mm -hmm. But I just want to give the flowers there because I think that I, I oftentimes see George giving a lot of trans folks, myself included, our flowers. And like I've I've sat down, I've sat down with a couple of different um, girls. And I've found out like just behind the scenes, like George has been moving tables for for a lot of girls, you know, and I just think that that's really dope that you can 
collect the checks that George be getting from them books okay. and then, Amen. you know, turn around and use that <laughs> access for the girls. So I really appreciate that. Both Madison and, and George, I love them to death. Me love too. That. I love the both of them too. Mm -hmm. This was fantastic. And of course, you know, I'm such a fan of yours. I mean, I, I say it till I'm blue in the face. Same. But you, I mean, you, you talk the talk. You talk the talk. And I mean, you walk the walk, but I was Amen. so inter genuinely interested in knowing what you, because you know, I've seen your critiques on Dylan. Mm -hmm. And Dylan has been, mm -hmm. you know, we're all nuanced and we all have our own opinions. And I was interested <laughs> because I have seen the, the response to Hunter and everybody's like, yes, queen work and dylan is getting you know mm, yeah i mean but it's it's, it's a very much so like it, like i hate to say it, but it's like a rightfully so moment for me like honestly like let's be very clear i don't even like the way that she resurfaced and i told people like i gotta go back and find my little live because i told people that this is exactly what was gonna happen yeah when i went live about the situation i was like now watch she gonna give us about a week she gonna pop back up and when she pops back up there will be an announcement and yes. of course here it is allure right yeah, yeah. and i i just i can't everything with her and i don't i hate that i'm giving this grace because like i say i'm the queen of nuance and i don't mind going back and apologizing yeah but what i also feel like is that caa understands what they have in dylan and they also know that because she's so new in her transition they can milk her in a way that they can't milk their other trans clients. Like they can't milk India. And so let me ask um, you this. What do you think is the public's obsession with new trans people? And I say that thinking about like, you know, uh, there's a number of trans influencers I can think of where there is, it makes me wonder, will the public still be as invested and as interested when that said trans person is 10 years down the line and talking about maybe access to adequate health care and, and employment and housing? What do you think is the, the obsession with newly trans people and capturing that story? Because it's not an unusual narrative. We've it's mm. been in the media for decades. So what's, what are your thoughts on that? <sighs> New trans people are malleable. Like I said, when we start transitioning, a good majority of, maybe not all of us, right? But a good majority of us are still trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out our pain points, whether or not we're going to accept misgendering. Like there are so many different things that you're trying to like discover for yourself, especially within that first 365 days, right? And I think that for a lot of the media, it's the ability to bring people on and have nuanced conversations that they know that people who are just transitioning are not going to be able to answer. Because if you notice, a lot of the conversations that they promote are with new trans people who don't have the answers to the questions that they're asking, and they do that on purpose. You could invite Laverne, y'all could tap Janet, y'all could tap me or Madison or Angela or MJ or India, y'all could tap us. Y'all don't because there's a certain level of respect that's expected when we walk in the door, right? And I think that as confident as Dylan might appear to look on social media, I'm sure that there are a bunch of different conversations where Dylan has probably been misgendered by people who are trying to pay mm -hmm. millions of dollars to you know, put her face on something. And she's smiled through it because that's what we do when we're fresh in those transitions. Mm -hmm. There are people that are asking uncomfortable conversations about what she doing, what she plan on doing, was she keeping and was she not keeping and those are just conversations that as you get deeper into your transition you start to understand like i know my words and i understand my self-respect we're not going to talk about my genitalia mm -hmm. on cnn for everybody else to, 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 to hear like we're not doing that um and I think that that's the, the obsession. The obsession is getting somebody before they realize and recognize that there's a self-respect that they owe to themselves. Uh -huh. And I think the media feeds on that. And just to add on that, as you were speaking, I was thinking, and I might've touched on this in another episode, I think it's also easier for allies to show up and say, and their allyship is, hey, don't misgender this person, don't, versus like, give this person health care. This person deserves a house, you know, like that type thing, so. Thanks so much again, Hope. You know, Hope always keeps it spicy. Listen, real caliente. Real caliente okay. in the name of Miami. <laughs> you can follow Hope on social media at Hope Giselle. That's G-I-S-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. And that's with one S, not two. Yes, okay, you heard. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will pass the mic to our trans siblings. So grab a snack and come on back. <laughs> We see each other. 
You probably already have a favorite animal. Maybe it's a powerful apex predator like the tiger or a cute and cuddly panda. And those are great, but have you considered something a little more unconventional? Could I perhaps interest you in the Greenland shark, which can live for nearly 400 years? Or maybe the jewel wasp who performs brain surgery on cockroaches to control their minds? On Just the Zoo of Us, we review animals by giving them ratings out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Listen with friends and family of all ages to find your new favorite animal with Just the Zoo of Us on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. We see each other. Welcome back to We See Each Other, the podcast. Trayvell, are you ready to pass the mic? Absolutely. So we like to end each show by passing the mic, so to speak, to our trans siblings. So you will hear from folks that Shar and I interviewed personally at the Unique Women's Coalition in West Hollywood, as well as listeners who called in with their stories. Let's take a listen. Hey, a 54-year-old transgender non-binary adult uh, living here in the Midwest. I would love to see more authentic representation of parents who are transgender, period. We are out there and we do not see ourselves represented anywhere in any kind of media. People don't talk about normalcy. Like uh, every almost every representation of a trans individual when it comes to media right now has to be so educational and so like just having to delve into their transness that you are losing the part of the story where we're just normal like we got our ups we got our downs and no they're not because i'm trans like it's because I had a hard day like I went to work and them fools tried me today you know like and that's okay that's okay for me to like feel that and and be able to embrace that there's like a film that I watched Secret Society you had two cis women playing trans individuals where you could have got two trans individuals playing those roles I don't think society is ready to see trans people in media that are not the stereotypical idea of a trans woman. Society's not ready to unpack that yet. Just be real, real talking with you. Like, there's like, you know, people who are passable, non-passable. They, they like, that's like a word that we use within the community. If you put too many passable individuals inside a media right now, people are gonna get like, I'm kind of confused. It gives like, you know, we only could give them so much. But if you put somebody who's quote unquote to people unpassable, people are more comfortable because people can still look at it and be like, okay, I can see. Because as you see, there's people like Tyler Perry or like celebrities that get up and drag and they portray women or trans women, but they're not like, you know, it's still like the the joke of it is like, I take my wig off, or you can feel like I have on pads or everything. Like people aren't ready for like things like that. We want to say thank you again to everybody who's shared their stories with us. We really appreciate it. Really, really do. Now, if you would like us to pass the mic to you, you can leave a message by going to speakpipe.com slash we see each other. We'll put a link in the show notes. But again, that's speakpipe.com slash we see each other. You can keep up with the show or leave us a comment on IG at Slejean. You can also buy We See Each Other, the book, wherever books are sold. But if you're too busy to crack open a book, guess what? There's an audiobook version so you can have Trayvell read it to you while you drive or, or at the gym or flying overseas to see Beyonce or whatever you're interested in. Whatever you're interested in. Our music is by the incomparable never-ending Nina. Check out her music wherever you get wonderful tunes. Our producer is Palmira Muniz and Laura Swisher is our senior producer. This podcast is supported by Critical Minded, an initiative to invest in cultural critics of color, co-founded by the Nathan Cummings Foundation and the Ford Foundation. It's a production of Slay Jean and Maximum Fun. We see each other. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.